Well, thanks very much, uh, Tanya, and uh, welcome to, uh, to Parliament House. We're on traditional lands of the Ngunnawal people, uh, Dara Nuna, Dara Ngunnawal, Yungu, Nalamanyan, Dunimanyan, Ngunnawalwari, Dawrawari, Dindi, Wangaralin, Jinyin. I want to acknowledge all First Nations people present today and also the important contribution that First Nations people have to play in peace building. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge uh, Kate Wallace, the First Assistant Secretary on Multilateral Policy, First Nations and Human Rights Division at DFAT, uh, Tanya Maletic, uh, the Deputy Director of the Initiative for Peacebuilding at the University of Melbourne. Uh, I'd also like to thank John Langmore for the invitation to address uh, today's Australian Peacebuilding Network Roundtable. Uh, John is Professorial Fellow and Chair of the Initiative for Pe Peacebuilding Board at the University of Melbourne. Uh, he's also my predecessor, having served as the <laughs> member for Fraser, my former electorate, from 1984 to 1996. Uh, as it happened in 1988, I was lucky enough to do work experience for John for a fortnight. Uh, this new Parliament House had just opened and it was a delight for an idealistic, politically engaged 16-year-old to work in John's office. Uh, John was generous with his time, thoughtful in providing me with interesting work, and optimistic about the power of good policy to change lives for the better. And since leaving Parliament, John's been an engaged and energetic contributor to the policy debate, a real role model as to what a post-political life can contribute to Australia. Uh, today I want to focus on how Australians have contributed their ideas and visions to shaping the field of peacebuilding. As you begin discussion, I hope there's some inspiration to draw out of these stories. Peace is underpinned by economic and social justice. That was a key belief of one of Australia's most consequential foreign ministers, H.V. Evatt, Minister for External Affairs and Attorney-General in the Curtin and Chifley governments. Evatt was an intellectual driving force of the Australian delegation to the 1945 United Nations Conference on International Organisation in San Francisco. This is where 50 nations gathered after the Second World War to develop an international charter to solve conflicts, peacefully resolve differences and work cooperatively. Evatt believed deeply that peace and stability could not be achieved through the mere absence of military hostilities. Rather, lasting peace had to depend on economic and social justice. As my former employer, Michael Kirby, has noted, even before 1945, Evatt sought to promote universal full employment, realising that economics would be vital not just to individual rights, but also to international peace and stability. These beliefs shaped his work in the United Nations. In discussions leading to the adoption of the UN Charter, Evatt fought hard to ensure that priorities included freedom for all, respect for human rights, full employment and better living standards. Evatt pushed successfully for the establishment of the UN Economic and Social Council, and he strongly advocated for the rights of smaller nations, seeking to secure their representation and voice in the United Nations decision-making process. The New York Times noted Evatt's determination to build peace. There are just two kinds of power in the world, the paper reported. One is military, the other kind of power is in men's minds. Dr Evatt speaks for this power in men's minds. The development of peacekeeping has given substance to Evatt's idea about what peace should entail. Today, peacekeeping operations seek to address all four of the fundamental aims of the United Nations. To save succeeding generations from the scourge of war, 
to reaffirm faith and fundamental human rights, to uphold international law and treaties, and to promote social progress. The peacekeeping researcher who's most influenced my thinking is Professor Kevin Clements, Professor of Peace and Conflict Studies at the University of Otago. I've known Kevin since I was a child, and I've always been impressed by his passion for peacekeeping and optimism about building a better world. As Kevin explains, sustained peacebuilding involves four factors. One, channeling energy towards positive change. Two, changing the structural, economic, social and political drivers of conflict. Three, seeing conflict as a social and economic issue rather than solely political and involving diverse stakeholders accordingly. And four, building peace at any stage in the escalatory cycle. From Indonesia to Cyprus and many more places around the world, thousands of Australians have contributed towards this vital process through peacekeeping operations, often serving alongside peacekeepers from many other nations. The Australian Peacekeeping Memorial, just across the water from Parliament, commemorates their service. There, a glowing passage between two large blocks represents the light they've contributed to peacekeeping around the world. Its opening in 2017 marked the 70th anniversary of Australia's involvement in peacekeeping, acknowledging over 80,000 Australians who've been involved in more than 60 peacekeeping missions. Australia continues this commitment today in many ways, including as a consistent partner and top 10 donor to the United Nations Peacebuilding Fund, and as the 12th largest contributor to the overall UN peacekeeping budget. Peace is never assured. We must continue to invest ourselves in resolving differences and preventing catastrophic conflict in a way which honours the vital ideal that peace depends on sustainable development and vice versa. This is an agenda that the United Nations advances to this day. As Australian Minister for Foreign Affairs Penny Wong highlighted in her statement to the United Nations General Assembly last year, progress towards the UN's 2030 agenda and blueprint for peace and prosperity has been slow. But we must continue our determined effort to work towards these goals. Australia has taken action which show our belief in the importance of social and economic progress for peace. This includes the launch of Invested, Australia's Southeast Asia Economic Strategy to 2040, which will support the pursuit of economic growth and development in the region. And Australia continues its long commitment to promoting peace through institutions. In 2025, Australia will sit on the United Nations Peacebuilding Commission, the UN's intergovernmental advisory body, which supports peace efforts in countries emerging from conflict. It's vital we take inspiration from peace builders of the past and continue to make progress by applying them to the challenges faced in peacebuilding today. That's why discussions like today's are so important. They're an opportunity to develop ideas and solutions and continue Australia's long history of promoting peace in our region and beyond. Thanks very much.